Well, welcome to our second week in a very interesting sermon series called The Elephant in the Family Room. And I have to give uh, those of you that have come today credit because several people told me after last week's talk about actually dealing with elephants that live in our family room, no one is ever going to come back to church again until that series is over. But you people have been fairly warned. You understand what we're dealing with this morning. Um, and it's difficult, right? Because we don't like to, to deal with things that nobody wants to deal with, and we especially don't want to deal with them with the people with whom we least want to deal with them with. Difficult things and people in our house. So here's what we learned last week. If you weren't here, you can watch it online. It's actually kind of funny. Can I just give you a social media update too, by the way? If you haven't liked Men Hills on Facebook, I'd encourage you to. But even more important, it's important you listen to this. People come up to me a lot and they go, you know, I never see any of the posts the church puts out, and we put a lot of stuff out. And the reason is, as I understand it, the way Facebook works is um, they distribute the, the posts based on how many people like the content. So, you know, when men post something, a certain number of people get to see it. And if they like it, if they interact with it, then Facebook goes, oh, this is a good post. We're going to spread it, right? So I would just encourage you, uh, if you see anything from Men Hills, like it. I mean, even if you don't like it, you could throw it a like um, just so your friend might be able to see it. And I tell you all that because if you were on Facebook this week, uh, we post a video of the talks, and there's a video, the, the, the picture before the video starts is just me sitting next to an elephant like this, and it looks kind of funny. Uh, I don't think my father in the history of his life has ever liked anything on Facebook. I'm not even sure. I didn't know he knew how to like something on Facebook, but my father liked the picture of me sitting next to the elephant. What he probably didn't like was when I was revealing all those family elephants in the room during the talk. He probably liked it before he got there. But we're talking about those difficult things that, that go on in our homes that left to our own devices we'd like to ignore. Issues, histories, pains, either passed down from generations before us into our family or things maybe we've raised up ourselves over time that have caused pain and anger and resentment. And so many of these issues, so much of the time, they exist, but they're never dealt with or handled. They just sit there like elephants in your family room. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've had this experience where I have sat on my couch, and I have had my wife tiff ticked off next to me on this side and my son ticked off next to me on that side. And you know what I've done? Stared straight ahead. Don't deal with it. Too frustrating. Too much pain. Too much conflict. Eventually, they'll forget it. And you know, those things work for a little while, but if you were here last week, what, what we noticed is when, when left too long, when not dealt with over time, you know, we looked at the story of David, what happened in his, in his family with him and his son's silence over this deep elephant in their family room. And it was a terrible sexual sin elephant that had happened to, his daughter was raped by one of his, his sons, and it was a mess, and, but nobody wanted it, and David didn't know how to deal with it, I wouldn't know how to deal with it. And so, and so what happens with elephants in the room is silence just kind of covers over them. But eventually, they spring back to life. And when they do, they, they bring death and damage to our spirits and to our relationships. And, and listen, if, if, you're, if it's the wrong elephant, it can bring death and destruction to our lives. I mean, death. And to our legacies, to what we're leaving our, our, our children. So that was point, the point of last week. You can keep pretending your family's perfect, okay? Breaking news, the Eismans have issues. That's probably not breaking news to anybody, but, you know, 
It's not perfect. It looks good on Sunday morning up in the front row, but there's stuff there. And we're, you know, sometimes we try to work through it and sometimes we try to ignore it. But I need you to hear, hear me on this. I know I'm moving into difficult areas here. And these are funny graphics and, you know, the, the picture that we're putting out, you know, the elephant on the couch, that's cute. But some of these things aren't funny or cute. You know, just like real elephants, they don't move, they're not moved easy. Just like a real elephant, you need to really be careful about how you approach these things. Because real life elephants can be horribly painful. And so the reality is, if I had an elephant loose in my house, I mean, if I really did have an elephant in the house, I would not try to move the elephant myself, especially the bigger it got. I would likely call somebody in, somebody that's actually dealt with an elephant before and knew how to handle something like this. And so, especially as we're touching on hard things here, if these things, if I'm touching on things, we're touching on things, we're working through things, and you're trying to get honest, and you're trying to bring some healing, and we're touching on stuff that has lost, left serious scars and pains, sometimes those are de best dealt with professionals that have handled elephants before. And so what I want to offer to you through our church and through our ministry together is that, that we have counselors available to you both internally and externally. Um, um, and we've worked with, with, with one particular that has said, I, you know, this is so important. I'm, I'm, I will do this very inexpensively. I mean, you know, they're, they're professionals, but we have one that said, I'll, I'll cut my fees radically for this because I, I want to help people. Um, so if we're touching on stuff that needs to get fixed, it can get fixed. We, we can heal it together, but we could do it with some professionals. So, so point one was that we need to create an atmosphere here at Menham Hills. We need to create and be honest with each other and stop pretending everything's perfect in our, our family, that our, my marriage is perfect and my kids are perfect, right? I mean, my kids, God love them. They're not perfect. I mean, if my wife was a little better, our, our relationship might be perfect, but, you know, <laughs> our marriage... You know, it, it, it's not perfect. But here's the deal. If we can bring brokenness into the light, if we can all just admit that everything's not right, then we can deal with it, and we're not playing games. We're not playing church. I hate playing church. Once you bring it into the light, it can get fixed and dealt with. Once it hides on the couch, it's only a matter of time because the, the clock is ticking. It might explode, or it just might never end up. The relationship might never be all it could have been. Now for point two. Here's what I need you to hear. I have always been really skinny. Like when I was growing up as a girl uh, from uh, first service that was here that I went to, grew up with grammar school, comes to Menham Hills every once in a while. Uh, I said I've always been really skinny growing up. In fact, now I'm older, I'm still kind of skinny, but my, my sister tells me all the time, I've told you this, that I'm, I'm not skinny, I'm skinny fat. And uh, I said, well, what does that mean? She said, you appear skinny until you're on the beach with me. And then I realize you're not skinny, you're skinny fat. Um, and so I have, you know, that's part of the scarring that gets left and puts family, elephants in family rooms um, with my sister. But see, when I was a kid, I was really skinny. And so I didn't play, my, I wanted to play football, so I decided, you know, which isn't a good idea. I probably should have gotten some guidance about this from, from my dad. But he was finally happy to have me do something, so he said, that'd be great. And so I signed up to play football in seventh grade. Well, everybody had been playing for years. And uh, so I, you know, I walked down to the uh, equipment um, shed. Some of you guys know this story, and uh, they were going to suit me up, and here comes this 65-pound kid that, you know, in seventh grade, and he doesn't know how to play football, and what are they going to do with me? Well, sure enough, I'm going to be like third-string line, right? And uh, so they go to fit. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about me. I was a skinny kid, but my head was exactly the same size as it currently is, and uh, it's still not easy for me to find a hat. 
But imagine trying to find a helmet um, when you're in seventh grade for a head the size of mine. And so they would go through this basket and they'd try to find a helmet and uh, eventually they would come to the conclusion, it happened both in seventh and eighth grade, that there are no regular helmets that fit you. We need to take you to the special equipment attic where we, uh, for kids just like you, and we'll find a helmet that, that will fit. See, I'm skinny. I got a big head. Here's something else I have. I have elephant-bearing hips. I can pop elephants out anywhere. I mean, I just drop them, you know, all over the place. In relationships, in my house, with my wife, with my kids, with people I care about, with the staff. And the problem is that I bear elephants all the time. I, I, I'm constantly in a state of pregnancy with an elephant. And then once I deliver it, I'm never quite certain how to handle it because I'm not really good at conflict resolution because that wasn't really, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't taught well to me growing up. For example, this week, if you were here last week, you know, I was revealing a couple of elephants growing up. You might remember I was sharing about when my parents first, there was something going on in the house, I don't remember what it was, but we were going next door for dinner and I remember them sitting us down and going, okay, we don't talk about this. This doesn't come up next door. It was the first time I realized, oh, there's things that get said in here that nobody's supposed to know about. And then I, I, I talked to you last week about how when I was growing up, oh, you know, I was a, kind of a wise mouth kid, and um, my mom got so frustrated with me, she kind of took a swing at me one time, and, uh, uh, you know, open fist. And uh, I went to move my head, and I smacked it in the wall, and I cut my head open, and we were going to the hospital, and I remember her yelling at me, so help me if you tell them how this happened, you're dead. And... Uh, so because I am a good boy, I was going over to my mom's house this week to do her taxes. And uh, she said, because she likes us on Facebook, she had seen the elephant picture of me and the elephant. And she said, Johnny, you're, she's the only one allowed to call me Johnny. Johnny, I hear you're, ta- I see you're talking about uh, families in church. I said, yeah, I'm talking about families in church, mom. She goes, well, did, did my name come up? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I said, uh, you know, I said, Talked about growing up, and, you know, there was this one time, and I don't remember what happened. Remember you and Dad telling us we couldn't talk about it? And then, you know, I was sharing with them that other time about how you went to take a swing at me, and uh, I smacked my head, and you swore, in, and my mom started to cry, and I can't believe this. I thought I was a good mother. How am I ever going to go to church ever again? She said, I swear this is what she said. She goes, my friend told me the only thing you don't want your son to be is a comic or a pastor. Those are the two things you don't want your kid to be. So my mother was a wonderful mother. (laughs) Hi, Mom. She's also loaded with grace. Here's what I want to do today. I want to share with you guys two, two biblical truths, two things that the scriptures teach, although you need to understand the whole of the scripture to see them there, that can stop you from, from birthing elephants. I am dispensing to the church this morning elephant contraception <laughs> for your usage. And in fact, if it's too late... If one has already been birthed and is sitting there, and we all know what it is, but we're not going to touch it, these same principles will allow you to start to wade into difficult waters in your relationships. And I'm going to share with you something that Joan and I have talked about. We talked about it with our starting group, too, a little bit. Something that's actually changed our relationship. Um, after being married for 23 years, something, a truth that has helped, helped us over the last couple of years. Jesus had a brother um, named James. 
That's why the Bible, see, the Bible can be so practical. We just read it for theological purposes. You miss a lot of stuff sometimes. So Jesus has this brother named James. And James probably created some elephants in Jesus' family room because the Bible says that James and the rest of the family thought Jesus was crazy. I mean, who wouldn't? He's walking around saying he's the savior of the world. This guy must be a little off his rocker. And so he probably said some things that maybe he regretted. And, and so maybe this advice comes out of that. But here's what he, he wrote. He asked a very pro- profound question in this, this book of the Bible he wrote. It's a small book. In James chapter 4, he says this. He asked the question. Let me ask you, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Now, if you were going to look at who you're here with, your, your spouse or your kids... And, and, and you ask that question, if, 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 if you asked your husband, what is it that causes fights and quarrels amongst you? What would he say? I know what he'd say. You do. <laughs> you cause them. You're the problem. And here's why. I mean, I, I, I go to work all day. Oh, I, I work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Is, is it too much to ask? That maybe you'd clean up around the house a little? Is it too much to ask that maybe when I came home tonight, I wouldn't get greeted with the big news, honey, it's breakfast for dinner again tonight? I mean, would that be too much to ask? Or maybe, maybe, maybe your wife would look at you and say, I know what the problem is. The problem is you. I mean, look at the house. Could you give our family two minutes of attention? You're always at work, and when you're not at work, you're sitting around here, the lawn hasn't been mowed, but the driveway is cracked, the garage is a mess, but oh no, the Mets are on tonight. It's a really important game, game six of 162. I know you have to watch it. <laughs> My parents and I, we fight while, you know, I'm 14 years old, I can't believe they think they could tell me what time to get home. I'll tell you what the problem is, my parents and their, their, their unrealistic expectations of me. Now, here's, here's how I know, because this is the way I think. Because if you ask me, you know what causes fights and quarrels in my home? It's very simple. It's this woman and these kids that God gave me. I mean, if they would just listen to me, if they would just do what I tell them to do, I have certain expectations, I don't think they're too much, and if they would just meet them, then there would be nothing but peace, love, and harmony in the Eisman home. And here's the problem. That's exactly what you think. I have these things, these expectations, these ideas, these desires. Because the truth is, I'm the smartest one in the house. I know more than they do. If they would just listen to me, everything would be all right. Here's the deal. Last week, we saw how we tend to think that everybody else's family is normal and ours is strange. When you're a kid, maybe you remember looking at that family going, that family is so much better than my family. Like, couldn't I be a part of that family? Here's the underlying truth for today. We tend to think that everybody else is weird and wrong and abnormal in our house, that we're the ones they have it right and they have it wrong. If they would just do what we tell them to do, then everything would be okay. But that's not the truth. One of my favorite, if you get this quote about, about, about Christianity down, it'll help you a lot. A wise man once said that God created man in his own image, and then man returned the favor. Right? We decided, I'm going to make you just like I want you to be. Anne Lamott uh, took it a step further. She said this, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God happens to hate all the same people you do. You see, God hates that my husband is so lazy. Oh, he's so mad at him. 
God hates when my wife, when I come home and my wife is in sweats again and we're having eggs. God hates when my kids aren't listening to me. Because this is what we think. We think uh, it's their issue. It's their problem. They created the elephant. And we do this all over the place. It's deep in us. You know how there's these national days for everything now? It's National Cupcake Day. It's National Marshmallow Day. I saw this one this week because I think it spoke to it. I shared it with the staff. This is uh, our friend Kermit. Uh, Kermit uh, was posting this. Tomorrow is National Slap Your Annoying Coworker Day. <laughs> if you're not sure who that is, I'd call in sick. <laughs> because we have this amazing ability to look at the guy we work with and go, that guy is a boob. If he would just listen to me, be like me, do like me, then everything would be okay. Here's the problem. This is what's natural to us. This was, you were not originally designed this way, but this is far, part of our fall. This is part of the dysfunction that we all share ever since, ever since sin entered the world that we're in. And so as a result of this, we often wind up bearing elephants, popping them out in our relationships. You see, Jesus' brother, James, he answers the question. Here's what he says. He goes, you want to know what causes fights and quarrels? You want to know why you and your wife are always yelling at each other? Your kids are always ticked off? James says this. Doesn't it come from your desires that battle within you? Maybe it wasn't them that caused the fight. Maybe they didn't create the, the elephant. But maybe it was you who caused it. Because you didn't get what you wanted. You desired something, you wanted something really bad, and when it didn't happen, when you didn't get from, from whoever it was in the relationship what you wanted, there's something that rears up in you and gets so ticked off, it causes you to say, there's something wrong, and I'm going to point my finger at you. You caused it. You let me down. You said you'd stop drinking. You said you'd watch the kids tonight. You said you'd be home at 10 o'clock. You said you were going to get a job that made more money. You promised me we were going to get a vacation home. You told me you'd call the school. Elephants, 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 elephants. The point is, is this. He or she is likely not the problem. James says there's something going on in you. And it often gets to the boiling point, And you could cover it up at work. You can cover it up at church, but when you get home, man, and it doesn't go your way, and you don't get what you want from the people that you want it from the most, it boils over and it just flows all over the house. James goes on, he says, here's what the problem is. You desire to have something, but you, there's something you want, there's something you wanted to get, and you're not getting it. Maybe you were promised it. Maybe, maybe honorably you should get it. Maybe you deserve it. But James says there's something going on there. You're not getting it, so you kill. Now, James is not writing to people in prison. He's not writing to people who have killed people. He's using hyperbole. He's saying, guys, here's what happens when you fight and quarrel. Usually you're fighting and quarreling not because they did something, but ultimately because there's something you wanted from them and you didn't get it, and so you kill. Now, how do you kill? You destroy relationships. You emotionally abuse your spouse. You just rake on your kids all the time. You walk out of the house. You don't talk to your mother again. 
We do it all the time. You want something so bad that you lose perspective in your desire to get what you want from somebody who likely can't give you what you're looking for at deep levels anyway. You want to feel better. You want to feel loved. I wanted to be proud of my kid, and you're not coming through for me. I wanted the nicest car in the parking lot, and you didn't provide it. I wanted a job that was going to have a nice title, and he won't give it to me. James says sometimes you want it so much, you will literally destroy the person, the son, the daughter, the mother, the father, the spouse, the coworker. You will destroy them because they didn't give it to you. You might do it with silence, the withholding of intimacy. With your coworkers, you might gossip. See, what you want to say is, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. What James is saying, no, 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 you got to stop, stop for a minute. There's something at war in you that's causing this fight. He goes on, he says, you want something, you covet it, but you can't get it, so you quarrel and fight. You ever wonder why, you know, Jonah and I wouldn't, you know, so, by the way, every time we have a family series and we wind up having family fights, it happens every time, it's something spiritual in the world, but... You know, every once in a while, Joan and I literally will say out loud, why is everybody in this house always fighting? Does that ever happen in anybody else's house? See, first service, they all lied and said it was just my family. At least you people are a little more honest. Like, literally, we'll say, why is everybody always fighting? And here's James. James says, I'll tell you right now why they're fighting, because you all want something, and none of the rest of you will give it to them. Andy Stanley is a pastor of a pretty big church. He put a curriculum out, a really good curriculum called Future Family. Some of our small groups did it. Uh, if you haven't done it, it's a really good curriculum. I encourage you to do it. He looks at this principle, and he's, he came up with a concept that I've been trying to use in my own life over the last week or so, and it's helped me. Um, see, even though I have elephant-bearing hips, I can feel when I'm about to let one out. <laughs> right? You feel it coming. Oh. <laughs> right? And you know you're about to say something, do something, you know, stick a note somewhere, hide the cell phone, you know, put the keys in a drawer. You're about to do something that's going to create an elephant. And here's what he recommends. He says, if you could just in those moments step back for a second and literally say out loud. Now, you have to think about how powerful this would be in your home. If you would stop and say, I'm about to have an elephant, but... And now out loud, you know what? You know why I'm so mad? At least part of this problem is because of me. I'm not getting what I want. Now imagine Caleb sitting here. Imagine Caleb, come I tell Caleb, Caleb, be home at 10 o'clock. Caleb rolls in at 11 o'clock. Not that this would ever happen. But <laughs> he rolls in at 11 o'clock, and I want to meet him at the door and go, I told you to be home at 10 o'clock. What if instead I said, I feel the elephant coming on. Okay, I have to be honest with you right now. At least part of the problem here is I'm not getting what I want. Do you feel the tension drop down in the room? Because it's not just about you, Caleb. Because the truth is I wanted you home at 10 o'clock, but really why I'm ticked off is because you didn't respect me. And I have this stupid need for respect, and, and I wanted it from you, and you didn't give it me for me, and I'm not getting what I want. 
But when I understand it, see, it, 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 I want to come home to a clean house. I think I deserve to at least have the lawn mowed. I, I told you to be home at 10. And you, it, all these issues pile up. But it turns out that it's not all about you only thinking about yourself. It, it turns out it, it, it's mostly about something that's going on in you. So this powerful principle, when you do it, it causes you to own some of the problem. And when you own some of the problem, the tension goes way, way, way down. And you stop dropping elephants all over the living room. You stop pointing fingers all over the house and you start looking in the literal... By the way, the more you do this, the more you look in the mirror... Why is it, what is it about me that always has to get what he wants? Why did I overreact? Why did I say that? So what Stanley says, and I think we should try it, is you need to say this over and over again. In fact, we're going to practice it right now. You don't need to actually look at anybody and say it. But here's what I want you to say. You know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. Will you say it with me? Do you know what part of the problem is here? I'm not getting what I want. I can't wait to get the emails this week about how effective this lesson has been in your life. But this is a powerful principle because what it's helped me to realize is every time I'm about to create some kind of big family drama, if I could just stop and go, wait a minute, this is not all about that. This is about something that I'm trying to get here and I'm not getting it. James goes on, he says, here's the problem. You're trying to get something from them that they can't give you. He goes, you don't have because you didn't ask God for it. Why are you trying to get respect and self-worth out of your son listening to you? He says, you don't ask God for it. Before you start bearing elephants everywhere, you're so ticked off, you've got to have something. You're asking people for it. You can't extract it to them. James says, has it ever occurred to you to just get down on your knees for a minute and say, God... God, there's this thing I wanted from my husband. And Lord, I just want to pray about this. Lord, God, there's this thing I want. I want for my son. And I think the scripture would teach that there is something so powerful there where all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what am I doing? What is it that I want? Why am I trying to get it? Why am I trying to get respect from my mother-in-law? James says, has it occurred to you you're trying to get something from someone who doesn't have the power to give it to you? And when you do this, when you get it, it moves the focus off them and on to you. And then when you actually go to have a discussion, try starting an argument with your spouse when you actually go, you know, before I start, I have to tell you that I know a lot of this is because I'm not getting what I want. It makes the discussion a lot more palatable rather than you screwed up again. He finishes by saying this. Here's the problem. If, if you ask God for it, and you don't receive it, it's because you asked with the wrong reason. You just wanted to spend it on yourself. God, my, my husband, I, he doesn't spend enough time with me. And see, ladies, if you're trying to feel ultimate love from your husband, he, he doesn't have it to give you. I have bad news for you. He's a human being, and his love for you is conditional. It's not perfect. Men, if you're trying to get your, your, your accomplishments and your sense of self-worth from your wife or your kids... Or how good your kid is in sports, I've got bad news for you. You're trying to extract something from somebody that can't give it to you and then spend it on yourself. God doesn't answer those prayers. He's not going to make your kid a sports superstar so you can, be, you can sit in the stands with your chest out. 
So that's the first principle. If you could understand that, that so many of these elephants are born out of our own frustration, a desire that we had for something and somebody let us down. It wasn't really about them, it was about us. Now, I'm gonna close with the second principle. This is one that is so powerful that literally it has changed my marriage over the last two years. And what God has been teaching me as I've been working on this talk, I've been thinking about this, because this, this one is easy for me because I've been living this one for the last couple of years. Um, God is now saying you need to apply this principle to your kids and to your staff and, and to people that you know, even to people you can't stand. God's telling you, you use this and it'll, it'll change. You'll stop making elephants. Now, I'm telling you, I introduced this principle to a few guys at the men's retreat in the fall. I, I went on a, a retreat with my two brother-in-laws um, in the fall. Uh, we're spiritual guys. It was like a spiritual retreat. And my brother-in-law, who's a very smart guy, he's the guy that brought me to Christ. You know, he's the one that understood God and explained God to me. And, and, and he's got several patents in his name. Uh, he's the guy that wrote a lot of the code that runs behind all of the uh, airplanes database systems and things like that. So like when you go on kayak and you book a flight, then you get all the ads from the towns that you're going to. That's all his software that's running behind it. Very smart guy. And so we were away and um, he said to me, you know, we were asking each other good questions. He said, how's your marriage to Joan? Now he's married to Joan's sister. He said, how's your marriage to Joan? And I said, my marriage right now is as good as it has ever been. We've been married for 25 years. It's never been better than right now. And he stopped me and he looked at me and he said, all right, you need to help me because I married into this same mess that you did, and I'm not quite certain how. <laughs> he said, what? He said, I don't understand. How could, how could that be? What, what's going on in your marriage? It's so good. And so I explained to him the, the principle, this guy that is spiritually deeper than me and intellectually more capable than me, and I explained to him this deeply profound principle, and when I got done, the next morning he got up, and the first thing he said to me, we were having coffee, he, was, I, he, got, he said, I can't stop thinking about what you said last night. I, th I think it's going to change everything in my marriage. Now, I'm telling you, if you'll get this, if you repeat it when you walk into your house, it can prevent you from making all kinds of elephant births. It's deep, it's profound, it's mysterious. When you own it, it changes everything. Do you want to hear it? See, I, I don't think you want it enough, because i got to tell you, I think I could sell this thing. Like, I, should, I don't even know why I'm giving it away to you people for free. I should get some kind of compensation, because this will change your life. I'm serious. You should, you should be waiting in line outside of my office for this one. It took 23, it was 23 years in the making, and a lot of pain that my wife had to put up with until I figured it out. Do you want to know what this is? All right, you got to get a pen out because I don't want you to forget it when you get home. So if you really want this, it's very important, and I'm afraid you might forget it. Here it is, this concept, this understanding of your spouse and your kids, anybody, your in-laws in the relationship, if you will remember and employ this one principle, it will change everything. Here it is. It took me 23 years to figure it out. My wife is a human being. Pew. Mind blown. 23 years for that little nugget. I know you're blown away by the depth of the principle, the, the magnitude of this weighty truth. I can see you going home today going, what'd you talk about in church? Well, this fool was blathering on about people being human beings. But here's what I learned about my wife, and maybe I would encourage you 
that you need to learn this about your wife or your husband, like Joan needs to learn it about me, and she has, and, and we need to learn it about our kids, and, and you need to learn it about your in-laws, because when you learn it, it changes all of those relationships, and it's an ability, it'll give you an ability to deal with elephants in your life. Here's the deal. I learned that my wife is a human being. Her true and real identity, what she really is, is not my wife. See, I missed that. Her truest and deepest identity and purpose was not to be my wife. Nobody told me that. I thought I had a wife. I thought the goal was to grow up and get married and have a wife. I don't want a human being. It turns out I should have married Moose, my dog. Because ultimately, in, for 23 years, in some ways, that was my expectation. Her role, her purpose was to be my wife. To be my companion. To fulfill me. She was supposed to complete me. She was supposed to bring me joy. I wanted a wife. I really wanted a wife. To this day, I really still want a wife. You know what I have? What do I have? I have a human being. I have a human being. See, there's a big difference between having a wife and, having, and living with a human being. Now, maybe you have the same problem. You wanted a husband, and you know what you got, ladies? See, I can see the problem. The men fess this up much easier. Ladies, you wanted a husband, but what did you get? You got a human being. Everybody under the age of 22 in the room, you wanted parents, and you know what you got? Human beings. You got human beings. You see, maybe you wanted a little princess, and you know what you got? You got a human being. Maybe you wanted a sports store. You know what you got? You got a human being. When Courtney was little, I'm, this is so embarrassing, but the Lord put it on my heart, so I'll share it. It's not embarrassing for Courtney. It's embarrassing for me. So when Courtney was little, he was in kindergarten, and we went down to the school, and it was parent-teacher conference, right? And so uh, we go in, and we sit down with the teacher, and the teacher starts telling us about how she's doing. You know, I'm sitting there going, uh-huh, 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Okay, any questions? Yeah, how is she doing in comparison to the rest of the class? And she said, oh, she's doing fine. And I said, well, no, 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 I, like, exactly how is she doing in comparison to the rest of the class? And she said, I told you, she's fine. She's, she's doing fine. I said, okay, well, if you were to rate the kids in the class, like, if you were to compare them, how's she doing relative to the other kids? And she goes, oh, well, she'd be at, like, the top of the class. Bingo! <laughs> See, I didn't want Courtney. I wanted a scholar. And so what gets communicated to Courtney when she moves on to a bigger, harder school and, and she has a learning disability? Because I, I, I didn't really want a human being. I, I, I wanted this kid that was going to do what I wanted her to do, look like I wanted her to look, achieve how I wanted her to achieve. You go back to the James principle. I didn't want a human being. I wanted a wife. I wanted a son. I wanted a superstar. I didn't want a daughter. I wanted a scholar. And you know what I got? I got a human being. And that means three profound things. 
The first is this. It means that my wife and my kids and your kids and your spouse and your husband, they bear what the Bible calls the imago Dei. That sounds real impressive. It's the Latin for the image of God. Genesis, in the first chapter of the Bible, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Get this now. and This is profound for me to actually think about. They weren't created in my image and for my purposes, but they were created in God's image, and they bear his likeness, and they exist for his purpose. My wife does not exist to be my wife. Her purpose is not solely to be my wife. Her purpose, God has a purpose for her, and it is not primarily to be my fill-in-the-blank. My kids were created with their own purposes in the image of God. They are not mini-me's. They do not have to do what you want them to. Maybe they do at certain points in their lives, but as they get older. And so... You start to think about this. My wife, my kids are created in the Mago Day. So let me ask you a question. Then why do I spend so much time? Why have I spent 23 years, 23 years trying to mold her into my image? Trying to make her look like me, think like me, be like me, act like me, do what I want. See, I spent 23 years. I didn't realize this until two years ago. Joan will share all this with you. She'll tell you. I was, I was terrible. It was a terrible, but I spent 23 years trying to convince my wife that the best vacation you can have is to go to Ocean City, Maryland and stay in a two-bedroom condo with 22 of my brothers and sisters in my family. <laughs> and for 22 years, my, my saint of a wife would go. Now, she would complain like heck about it. And I would say to her, what is your problem? I need to convince you and show you they, this is fun. And, and so I would look at the kids who, you know, they're going on rides and eating popcorn. And I'm going, isn't this fun? This is fantastic, Dad. Because I want her to do what I want her to do. I want a companion. I want a wife. But God created her in his image with his purpose. And he, he, he created her with her likes. You know what she likes to do? She likes to, like, take walks in the woods. Who wants to do that? <laughs> 23 years. I'm going to teach you to be like me. I'm going to make you in my image. 23 years to figure out she's a human being. She was created by God. She was created for God. Why are you trying to get her to do what you want her to do? She's a human being for his purposes. She was created for his pleasure. Men and women and mothers and fathers, listen, so much of your conflict, so much of what is going on in your deep relationships with your spouse with your parents, as you think at deep levels, they were created for your pleasure. They were created for God's pleasure. And when you forget that they're human beings, you start creating elephants. There's a reason why they act differently than you. There's a reason why they're voting for Bernie Sanders. There's a reason, there's a reason they want to be a painter and you want them to be an investment banker. And I know you might be going, oh, well, you know, I just want the best for my kid and He's never going to make any money being a painter. He's a human being. He's a human being. It took me 23 years to figure out 
I, I'm not always right. Maybe she's right. I'll tell you, you know, how I told you before, once you start to own a little bit of the problem, God starts to show you more of the problem. Once I started to realize she might be right about this vacation thing, it still hurts me to say. Once I figured out she might be right about this vacation thing, then you start to realize she might, you know, she, she might be right about more things than I thought. <laughs> you know why? Because she's a human being. Second thing that, that understanding, this is the most profound one for me. This is the one that's helped me the most. The second thing that it means that, that the person that you can wind up loving the most but in conflict with the most, the second thing I learned about the reason uh, under this human being thing is if he or she is a human being, that means that God created them with dreams and hopes and plans and wishes and desires of their own. Of their own. Jeremiah 29.11, we quote this all the time, right? God says to his people, I have plans for you declares the Lord. See, I have plans for her too, coincidentally. <laughs> but God says, no, I have plans for her, plans to prosper her and not to harm her and to give her a hope and a future. See, I thought I got a wife. I thought I had kids, so they were going to help me achieve my wishes and my plans and desires. Here's what I learned about my wife. I never really even asked if her plans and wishes and desires were different than mine. One of the things that, that we've talked a little bit about, we probably, you know, as I was saying this this morning, I said we haven't talked about this in a long time again, but, like, what if her plans, wishes, and desires were different than mine? Because I never asked. I just dominated. You know, what the Lord taught me through this is, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big personality, and for 23 years I've been doing a good job of squashing her plans and hopes and dreams and desires. You know, she was an 18-year-old that had plans and hopes and dreams and desires for her life at one time, and I spent 23 years putting my foot on them. And any time they raised up, well, we can't talk about that because that's going to be, you know, that's a big issue. And what God started saying to me was, she's a human being. Just the way you have plans, he's a human being, ladies. Just the way that you have plans and hopes and dreams and desires for your life, he had them for his too. So one of the things that God said to me is, you know, here's something radical. What if you spent the next 23 years being a companion on her journey for her hopes and plans and dreams? And you let yours die. Because that's when you stop just believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ and you become the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's a human being. He's a human being. He's a human being. He has plans and hopes and dreams and desires, and they're not yours. And part of your responsibility is to come alongside and make them come true and maybe let yours die a little bit. Great conversation on a, on a date night. How have I squashed your hopes and dreams and plans and desires? All right, third, last but not least, this is a big one too. Um, Here's the deal. Uh, they're a human being, the person, that, the person in your life, the person in your family that you're getting frustrated with, your kids, your spouse, your in-laws. They're made in the image of God. They had hopes, plans, dreams, wishes, and desires of their own. And finally this, they are messed up. My wife is messed up. But so am I. And so are you. Romans 3.23 says, see, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the story of the scripture. You keep thinking, hey, kids, breaking news, your parents are human beings. You know what that means your parents are? Messed up. They got issues. But you somehow thought that they, that they should be perfect. 
I was thinking about this with my dad. My dad was, we were talking about it last week and we went away together for a night. And he was talking about how he grew up. He, he was brought up by his mother. Well, his mother's family, I don't, think he, I don't think my grandmother knew her father. And her mother burned up at a house fire when she was 13. And so she was raised by, by an older sister. And then my father's father wound up being, in his formative years, away in a tuberculosis hospital for years. So my father was raised by a woman who was raised with no parents. Now, do you think that impacted my father's ability to love? But see, I grew up thinking he was, he was there to serve me as my dad. Like, you're supposed to be my dad! And he's looking at me going, well, you're supposed to be my son! And look how skinny you are with a big head! He's a human being. And he screws things up. But see, God has grace on you and me. And so you, you, we look at each other and you start to say, I'm getting so mad at you. I'm getting so discouraged with you. I can't talk to you about certain things. But then if you would step back and go, but you know what? He's a human being. And I've probably heard him. And I have to look and understand that there's things. There's, you know, what if, what if your spouse was brought up in a home that had a special needs kid or a kid that sucked all the oxygen out of the room, right? And, and so, so they grew up never getting any attention. Is that going to play a role in your marriage? You could go through these time by time. I'll tell you the worst one I ever heard. One of the best-looking, most handsome kids I ever saw. Um, we, I used to be able to do a lot more with Marcus Street Mission. He's one of the best, good-looking kids I ever saw. And I went out with him one day. He said, I need to tell you my story. And I said, you know, I said, well, I, some of you know this story. It's so traumatic. And he, he, he goes, well, I said, yeah, tell me. He goes, I, he goes I'm going to tell you, but, you know, you need to be prepared. And I said, yeah, I'm prepared. And he said, all right, here's the story. He said, I was born. My mother was a, a drug addict, and so I was being raised by my dad, but my dad was an alcoholic. So Dyfus eventually kept showing up at the house and they took me away. And uh, he said, so what happened was my, my, my paternal grandfather came and adopted me. And so then they took me to Florida. I was living with my paternal grandfather. And he was, he was not a good guy. He, you know, he, he, he severely beat me all the time. It was, a, it was not a good situation. And then he said, my father then moved back to Florida uh, and he started a family right next door with a new wife and new kids, and I wasn't allowed to go over there. And he said, so then what would happen is my dad never quit his drinking problem, so we'd be outside playing in the yard, and uh, my dad would get on his lawnmower in the house next door, and he would be driving his, he was drunk all the time, he'd be driving his lawnmower to the liquor store, and all the kids in the neighborhood used to make fun of me because my father was driving his, his, motor, his lawnmower to the liquor store. And he said, it got so bad at one point, two points, I tried to kill myself in Florida, and I wound up in a, in a psych ward. And he said, so I was in the psych ward, and there was no way to let me out because I, I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old. And he said, so finally, they were trying to find somebody that could take me, and my mother came back up down from Jersey to, to re-adopt me, and they sent me home with my mother. But my mother was a crack addict, and over time, my, my mother and I started doing drugs together. And he said, so we were doing crack together, but we didn't have any money because my mother was a crackhead. And he said, you know, when I was 13 or 14 years old, she used to start to prostitute me out to men so we could get money to smoke crack together. Now, do you think that's going to impact his relationships? Do you think it would be wise for somebody on the other side of him to look at him and go, that's a human being. I need to understand where he's been. Let me think about what, I think you think before I talk. I, I, need, I need to see the image of God in him. I need to understand that he was created to have a future and a hope and plans and dreams. And I need to try, stop trying to extract things from him that he can't give me. He, he has no ability to give them to me. Or you're going to drop elephants everywhere. So let me get the band to come up.
at the end of the day, this is true of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all broken people. And he comes into your life and he says, come to me. I understand who you are. And I forgive you. And I have grace on you. And I, and I long to bring you and give you life. God says, I am coming into your life because I have a plan for you. I, I, this is not necessarily about just creating what I want to happen in your life. This is about inviting you into what's going on with me. I have plans for you and hopes for you and dreams for you. And I can, I can achieve them with you. And so I'm going to close with this. Next week we'll start getting more practical into things about how, how, how to deal with difficult stuff. But, but first, these two things. If you would, before you create any more elephants, or maybe in the difficult relationships in your life right now, if you would look and say, you know what, Lord, where in those places, where in those places have I caused the problem? Where in those arguments has it been because I haven't been able to get what I wanted to extract from someone, and so really a portion of this is on me. And the second thing I would ask you is, who in your family room, who in your family room have you forgotten that they don't exist to be your husband or your wife or your child, that they were created by God in his image for his purpose? And who have you been trying to, to create in your image and make live in your purpose? Because in those moments of tension, if you will go to somebody with that understanding, that'll change everything. Jesus, the kingdom of God is so different than the kingdom of the world, Lord. We get it all screwed up. And so, Lord, as we talk about difficult things, I know, I know, Lord, some of our marriages are really in tough places, and there's been a lot of things said, Lord. There's been a lot of things done. And there's a lot of water under the bridge. I know that some of our kids have not been good. I know that they've said some things and done some things that have been very painful and, and very disappointing. So, Lord, we, I don't take this as the pastor lightly, and I know your people here are in pain, some of them, over these things. All of us are in pain over some relationship somewhere. Lord, would you help us to bring the gospel to it, to own our share of the elephant, and to understand that the other end of that telephone, on the other side of that couch, is a human being.